Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Waste Connections fourth quarter 2021 earnings conference call. During the presentation, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. Afterwards, we will conduct a question and answer session. At that time, if you have a question, please press the 1 followed by the 4 on your telephone. If at any time during the conference you need to reach an operator, please press star 0. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded Thursday, February 17, 2022. I would now like to turn the conference over to Worthing Jackman, President and CEO. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator, and good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to this conference call to discuss fourth quarter results and our outlook for both the first quarter and full year 2022. I'm joined this morning by Marianne Whitney, our CFO. As noted in our earnings release, 2021 ended on a high note, as strong solid waste organic growth and acquisition activity, along with continuing underlying margin expansion, drove Q4 financial results once again above expectations. Acquisition activity accelerated in the fourth quarter, resulting in approximately $400 million in acquired annualized revenues in 2021, and setting up acquisition contribution approaching 6% in 2022, including transactions completed year-to-date. Along with solid waste price and growth of about 6.5%, this already positions us for double-digit percentage growth in revenue, adjusted EBITDA, and adjusted free cash flow in 2022. Put simply, 2021 is a reflection of how an intentional culture of commitment and accountability to all stakeholders enabled us to excel in a challenging operating environment, overcome inflationary pressures and supply chain issues, execute our growth strategy, expand margins, support employee health and welfare, and position the company well for 2022 and beyond. Before we get into much more detail, let me turn the call over to Mary Ann for our forward-looking disclaimer and other housekeeping items. Thank you, Worthing, and good morning. The discussion during today's call includes forward-looking statements made pursuant to the safe harbor provisions of the U.S. Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995, including forward-looking information within the meaning of applicable Canadian securities laws. Actual results could differ materially from those made in such forward-looking statements due to various risks and uncertainties. Factors that could cause actual results to differ are discussed both in the cautionary statement included in our February 16th earnings release and in greater detail in Waste Connections filings with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and the Securities Commissions or similar regulatory authorities in Canada. You should not place undue reliance on forward-looking statements as there may be additional risks of which we are not presently aware or that we currently believe are immaterial, which could have an adverse impact on our business. We make no commitment to revise or update any forward-looking statements in order to reflect events or circumstances that may change after today's date. On the call, we will discuss non-GAAP measures such as adjusted EBITDA, adjusted net income attributable to waste connections on both a dollar basis and per diluted share, and adjusted free cash flow. Please refer to our earnings releases for a reconciliation of such non-GAAP measures to the most comparable gap measure. Management uses certain non-gap measures to evaluate and monitor the ongoing financial performance of our operations. Other companies may calculate these non-gap measures differently. I will now turn the call back over to Worthing. Thank you, Marianne. We're extremely pleased with our strong operating and financial performance in Q4 and throughout 2021, as we manage through the pandemic and related impacts with an intentional approach to strategy, culture, execution, and value creation. Our proactive approach to pricing through labor pressures, accelerating capital expenditures through supply chain constraints, and maintaining our focus on servicing our customers drove record performance in 2021 and positions us for another outsized year of revenue, adjusted EBITDA, and adjusted free cash flow growth in 2022. We often highlight the importance of a culture in driving differentiated results and our results are emblematic of that purposeful culture in action. Our culture guided our response from the onset of the pandemic as we focused on reducing employee concerns regarding health 
welfare, and family obligations. To date, that investment totals over $50 million, primarily focused on our frontline employees, including $10 million during the recent Omicron surge in January, when, when we reinstituted both paid leave for COVID-19-related absences and supplemental wages in recognition of frontline efforts to honor our service commitments during an extremely tough operating environment. That intentional focus on execution also drove continuous improvement in safety in 2021, as we not only maintained the 12% gains we achieved in safety-related incident rates during 2020, but drove continued improvement in spite of reopening activity. During 2021, over 55% of our operating locations either posted zero safety-related incidents or year-over-year -year improvements, and our total recorded injury rate and cost of risk as a percentage of revenue remained well below industry averages. We also delivered 5% solid waste price in 2021, 100 basis points above our initial outlook, as we recognized and addressed the need for incremental price throughout the year to help offset inflationary pressures. Adjusted EBITDA margin expanded each quarter, excluding the impact of acquisitions, and it was up 70 basis points for the full year, even including the impact of acquisitions. Moreover, we're already set up for pricing of about 6.5% in 2022, and perhaps ultimately approaching 7%, as we recognize the realities of continued elevated inflation rates, which informs our outlook for 2022. In spite of inflationary pressures and a 25% year-over-year increase in CapEx in 2021, adjusted free cash flow increased 20% and exceeded a billion dollars, with a conversion rate of over 52% of adjusted EBITDA. We are positioned for similar strong conversion and continuing double-digit free cash flow growth again in 2022. We continue to reinvest in and grow our business, successfully accelerating fleet and equipment purchases in spite of macro supply chain issues. Looking ahead, our 2022 outlook includes CapEx up another 14% to $850 million, including $100 million for new landfill gas and resource recovery facilities. Consistent with the priorities identified in our sustainability report, these investments include two greenfield recycling facilities in existing markets and renewable gas projects at two of our landfills, all projected to be operational in late 2023. At approximately $150 million in total capital outlays over two years, these are strategic investments with attractive paybacks, even at more normalized values for recovered resources. As we have consistently emphasized in our approach to ESG, these projects are an integral part of our business and are consistent with our focus on value creation. Looking specifically at the two renewable gas facilities at our landfills, these projects are part of a group of 15 to 20 projects in various stages of development and expected to be completed over the next 10 to 15 years. With third-party partners involved in about two-thirds of these opportunities and Waste Connections owning the remainder. Looking next at acquisitions, following four years of above-average activity, 2021 once again stood out for the pace and magnitude of activity, which accelerated at year-end, as expected, to drive another outsized year. We completed over 30 acquisitions, all in solid waste, and spread across our geographic footprint in both franchise and new competitive markets, and including a number of tuck-ins to existing operations. We continue to be selective about the markets we pursue, the risk profiles we accept, and the valuations we determine to be appropriate. In total, we acquired approximately $400 million in annualized revenue in 2021, and we've closed another $100 million in annualized revenue year-to-date, providing 2022 acquisition contribution of about $350 million in revenue, or about 6%, from deals already completed. This strong start to the year, along with continued elevated acquisition dialogue, potentially sets up 2022 for another outsized year of activity. In spite of acquisition outlays of over $1 billion and almost doubling our return of capital to shareholders in 2021, our leverage remained essentially flat at about 2.4 times net debt to EBITDA. We remain well positioned for continuing elevated levels of investment in our solid waste growth strategy, whether via organic growth, new resource recovery projects, or solid waste acquisitions. It's an all-the-above approach with differentiated returns, not one with trade-offs, that drives continuing long-term double-digit free cash flow per share growth.
2021 marked our 18th consecutive year of positive total shareholder returns, and we returned $560 million to shareholders through dividends and opportunistic share repurchases, including about $350 million of shares, million dollars of shares repurchased in early and late 2021. In addition, we've already repurchased another $425 million of shares in 2022. Now, I'd like to pass the call to Marianne to review more in depth the financial highlights of the fourth quarter and provide a detailed outlook for Q1 and our full year 2022. I will then wrap up before heading into Q&A. Thank you, Worthing. In the fourth quarter, revenue was $1.624 billion, about $44 million above our outlook and up $226 million, or 16%, year over year. Acquisitions completed since the year-ago period contributed about $83 million of revenue in the quarter, or about $79 million net of divestitures. Total price in Q4 of 5.7%, including about 70 basis points in fuel and material surcharges, was our highest reported price in the decade and ranged from about 2.6% in our mostly exclusive market western region to between 5.8% and 7.2% in our competitive markets. Solid waste volumes of 1.2% exceeded our expectations, with positive volumes in all U.S. regions. Volumes were strongest in our central region, including Colorado and the Plains states, where mild winter weather through most of the quarter led to better-than-expected activity. And also in our western region, where landfill activity was strong up until late December's epic snowfall. Underlying volumes were also up in Canada, but down on a reported basis due to the expiration during the quarter of a poor quality municipal contract inherited in our 2016 progressive waste acquisition. Looking at year-over-year results in the fourth quarter on a same-store basis, commercial collection revenue was up 13%, roll-off revenue was up 11%, on pulls per day up 5%, with revenue per pull up 6%, and landfill tons were up 4% on increases of 3 to 5% in all waste types. Moving on to ENP waste. As expected, revenue was essentially in line with the prior quarter at about $34 million, up $9 million year over year, and up about 45% from the lows we saw in mid-2020. We remain encouraged by increased rig counts and elevated crude pricing levels, which, if sustained, could lead to increased ENP waste activity over the course of 2022. Looking at Q4 revenues from recovered commodities, that is recycled commodities, landfill gas, and renewable energy credits, or RIMs, excluding acquisitions in the aggregate, they were up about 90% year over year due to both higher RIM prices and higher recycled commodity revenues due to strong fiber values. Prices for OCC, or old corrugated containers, averaged about $185 per ton in Q4 decreasing during the quarter to end the year at about 170, with current values about $160 per ton. Renewable energy credits, or RINs, averaged about $2.80 in Q4, including the impact of a hedge, which rolled off at year end. During Q4, spot rates were in the range of 325 to 350, where they have remained year to date. Adjusted EBITDA for Q4 as reconciled in our earnings release was $495 million, about $9 million above our outlook, and 30.5% of revenue, up 20 basis points year over year, excluding the margin dilutive impact of acquisition. Underlying solid waste margin expansion of about 40 basis points, plus 90 basis points from recycled commodities, RIMS, and ENP net of fuel, more than offset higher wages and COVID-19-related increased overtime and outside repairs, as well as the return of certain discretionary and COVID-19-related support costs. Capital expenditures of $744 million in 2021 were about $44 million above expectations as we continued to capitalize on opportunities to acquire fleet and equipment as we approached year-end. In spite of CapEx up 25% on a year-over-year basis, we delivered full-year adjusted free cash flow up 20% year-over-year at $1.01 billion, or 16.4% of revenue, reflecting a conversion of 52.6% of adjusted EBITDA. Moreover, we entered 2022 well-positioned from a working capital standpoint, which once again provides a strong cushion. I will now review our outlook for the first quarter and full year 2022. 
Before I do, we'd like to remind everyone once again that actual results may vary significantly based on risks and uncertainties outlined in our safe harbor statement and filings we've made with the SEC and the Securities Commissions or similar regulatory authorities in Canada. We encourage investors to review these factors carefully. Our outlook assumes no change in the current economic environment. It also excludes any impact from additional acquisitions that may close during the remainder of the year and expensing of transaction-related items during the period. Looking first at the full year 2022, revenue in 2022 is estimated at $6.875 billion. For solid waste, we expect mostly price-led organic growth of 6.5% to 7%, plus about $350 million from acquisitions already completed. With E&P waste revenue and the values for recycled commodities and renewable fuels assumed about in line with current levels. Adjusted EBITDA in 2022, as reconciled in our earnings release, is expected to be approximately $2.145 billion, or 31.2% of revenue. Excluding the 20 basis point margin dilutive impact of acquisitions already completed and 15 basis points for January's COVID support costs, margins would be up about 35 basis points. Any moderation in inflationary trends, increases in the values for recovered commodities or an EMP waste activity, or additional acquisitions closed during the year would provide upside to our initial 2022 outlook. Regarding tax rates, our effective tax rate for 2022 is expected to be approximately 22% with some quarter to quarter variability. And cash taxes are expected at 50 to 60% of books. And finally, our share count is expected to be about 259 million on a fully diluted basis, consistent with the share repurchases already completed year to date. Adjusted free cash flow in 2022, as reconciled in our earnings release, is expected to be approximately 1.15 billion, or about 53.5% of adjusted EBITDA and about 16.7% of revenue on CapEx totaling 850 million, including 100 million for new landfill gas and resource recovery facilities, as Worthing described. To be clear, 2022 adjusted free cash flow of 1.15 billion, projected up 13.9% year over year, includes the incremental 100 million in CapEx. Turning now to our outlook for Q1 2022. Revenue for Q1 is estimated to be approximately 1.61 billion. We expect price plus volume growth for solid waste of about 6.5%, primarily price. The positive volume trends we saw in most of Q4 continued into January, but severe winter weather has since impacted many parts of the U.S. Reported volumes will also continue to be impacted by the expiration of the municipal contract in Canada noted earlier, as well as the end earlier this quarter of the remaining low-quality progressive waste municipal contract in our southern region. We've mentioned looking forward to the end of these lingering poor-quality contracts since completing the progressive waste acquisition in 2016. In the aggregate, they account for revenues of about $50 million or about 80 basis points of volume. We're happily redeploying assets from both of these expired contracts for better returns. E&P waste revenue and recovered commodity values are expected to remain in line with current levels. Adjusted EBITDA in Q1 is estimated to be approximately 495 million or 30.7% of revenue, down 30 basis points year over year. Excluding 30 basis points margin dilutive impact from acquisitions already completed and 60 basis points impact from January's COVID support, margins would be up about 60 basis points in the quarter. Depreciation and amortization for the first quarter is estimated to be about 13.4% of revenue, including amortization of intangibles of about $37 million or 11 cents per diluted share net of tax. Interest expense net of interest income is estimated at approximately 40 million. And now let me turn the call back over to Worthing for some final remarks before Q&A. Terrific, thank you, Marianne. We define intentional 
to mean a sustained commitment to being deliberate and purposeful in everything we do to achieve desired, predictable, and differentiated results. The strength and consistency of our results reflect the durability of our market model and the benefits of an intentional culture focused on employees and value creation. Put simply, we have a playbook that has served us well, whether at revenues of 30 million or now approaching 7 billion, providing the visibility to deliver on our commitments. We recognize that the onset of the pandemic, that the challenges of this period could create opportunities for differentiation in terms of culture, strategy, and value creation. Looking back at the past two years, we couldn't be prouder of our teams and their accomplishments, driving outsized financial performance and operational excellence while adhering to the values that have set Waste Connections apart since the company's inception. As we enter our 25th anniversary year in 2022, we look forward to more opportunities to be, to be back together, to celebrate the successes that have driven a track record of growth and value creation, and to further accelerate our speed of execution. Moreover, we're looking ahead as we position ourselves for revenue of 10 billion and more. We appreciate your time today. I'll now turn this call over to the operator to open up the lines for your questions. Operator. Thank you. If you would like to register a question, please press the 1 followed by the 4 on your telephone. You will hear a three-tone prompt to acknowledge your request. If your question has been answered and you would like to withdraw your registration, please press the 1 followed by the 3. One moment, please, for the first question. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Our first question comes from the line of Walter Spracklin with RBC Capital Markets. Please proceed with your question. And thanks very much, operator, uh, and good morning, everyone. <clears throat> morning, Walter. So, so my first question, I guess, is on capital deployment, and and um, and and certainly uh, when, when large companies get a lot of cash, a lot of investors have some uh, concerns about strategic drift and so on. And 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 when you look at your opportunity set. Um, going forward, whether it's RNG, whether it's acquisitions or other growth opportunities, uh, how do you prioritize? And, and, and is there any risk that, you know, as you get bigger, you start to have less and less opportunities in your core markets and, and start to look at projects that are perhaps outside of, uh, outside of solid waste? Can you, you know, perhaps where they talk a little bit about uh, where those priorities are and, and where you see that opportunity set, or is that still far off in the distance? Yeah, you know, as I try to wrap up uh, my comments today, uh, our priorities remain, you know, to, to maintain the playbook that we know has driven our success, and that is, you know, capitalizing on opportunities in, in solid waste. Um, you know, as you know, the the opportunity basket's quite large. Uh, we look, we focus on a subset of the opportunity basket, some three and a half to four billion of revenue that that fits our market model. That's a fraction of the total available or addressable market when it comes to to that. Um, I was pretty clear on uh, in October uh, with my thoughts on on moving away from solid waste to other quote environmental uh, solutions or services uh, type businesses. Um, it's so uh, uh, I'll stand by those comments back in October. So it's not something uh, we look at with regards to a drift. When it comes to capital deployment, you know I think our view has always been. We have an all the above approach, as I said. Also, um, the tr it's not about trade-offs. Look, the when you think about acquisitions, sellers drive most of the timing in the transactions we do, whether it be last year early on, and in you know people concerned about changing tax rates, uh, that was a big impetus for a while. 
um, as a year moved on and, and we got more clarity on that. Um, frankly, uh, you know, owner exhaustion in trying to run a business in a, in a, in a pandemic uh, world, in a, in a labor constrained environment, in an inflationary environment, et cetera. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, takes a, it takes a different focus um, to succeed in this. And, and so that seems to be driving a lot, of, a lot of the transactions that we're looking at right now. Um, and so, again, sellers drive most of the opportunities and the timing around that. Um, we're ready to take advantage of that and capitalize on that. Again, the resource recovery projects, um, you know, we look at it and these are years in development. Um, the ones we're finally breaking ground on today have been years, um, you know, on the, on the drawing board. And the timing of those really is, is nothing more than now the, the expansions at landfills might have been done or the, the permitting's in place or the pipelines are now available, et cetera. So there's a host of things that drive the timing. That's why we look at it and say over, you know, the next 10 to 15 years, um, you know, we can see a pipeline uh, of projects. But as we look at it, um, it's not like we're going to own all of them. Um, as we said before, you know, two-thirds, as we see it, already involved third parties um, in this planning and development. And frankly, in many cases, it's because the landfill rights are already under some contractual obligation that we're now talking to them about tearing up existing contracts and kind of redoing things for the benefit of both parties. And so it's, you know, we don't see a large amount of capital being deployed um, uh, on the landfill gas side because that's, as I said, it's only a third of the projects or less uh, that, that we will own. Um, and frankly, if you look back at these two projects and look at, at some press releases that have been out there the past two months, I mean, there are two other projects that we're, we're doing a partnership with, th with third parties that have been out there, two of our landfills. And so theoretically out of the four that we're doing right now, two are owned. So in other words, that's not consuming so much capital that, you know, there's a trade-off of, of that or something else. Acquisitions are always m more creative uh, than buying back our stock. Obviously, the market episodically provides opportunities to buy back our stock, but we clearly understand that uh, deploying capital and acquisitions um, is accretive to, uh, to value creation. And doing the smaller transactions provide a, a lower risk profile and a lot better return uh, per capital dollar deployed than doing larger, you know, public to public type transactions. Um, and so the, what's made it successful, as I said, the last 25 years will continue to be our playbook going forward. And we talk about a pathway to 10 billion or more in revenue and, you know, we'll execute the playbook to that. Uh, that's fantastic, and, and, and certainly a prioritization that's consistent with, I think, what investors are looking for. Now, the second, my follow-up question here is, is, is really on if we look out a number of years, I guess, firstly, you did a billion dollars in, in, in acquisitions. Um, that's, that's certainly well above what you, you, you kind of trended uh, in prior years. How many more year, you know, billion-dollar years are there, and, and, and when we're past that, whenever that might be, can you give us a peek into what your return of capital strategy will be once you get of a size that acquisitions simply won't be able to, uh, there won't be enough out there? How would you look at return of capital, uh, return, of shareholder, uh, return of capital shareholders? Sure. We've been consistent in saying this for probably a decade now as, as we continue to grow the business because, you know, it's not about chasing a growth rate. You know, what we look at is a, on a risk-return basis, you know, the, the, the lowest risk path to a double-digit free cash flow per share growth. And, you know, we have said as all along as, as we get bigger, our expectation has always been that shrinking the denominator in the share count you know, becomes a, uh, you know, a component of that pathway to double-digit, not just increasing the, the numerator. It's just the fact that's happened over the past six, seven, or more years, you know, the, the top-line growth from acquisitions has driven a numerator growth that has allowed lower mid-teens free cash flow per share CAGR. I mean, our, our belief has always been that at some point in time, we transition to, you know, the, the organic side, providing, you know, seven, eight, nine percent of that pathway to, to, to top line growth um, acquisitions, you know, topping that off by one or two percentage points. And then a, a repurchase of one to two percent of our stock, providing another, another couple of points to that growth. So the, the pathway to get to the double digit sustained free cash flow per share growth can change over time. Um, frankly, it's a, it's a, you know, if organic growth continues to drive more of it over time, you know, it's a much lower CapEx deployment uh, for that, 
for that attainment. Makes a lot of sense. Appreciate the time as always. Congrats on a great quarter. Thanks, Worthy. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Hamza Mazari with Jeffries. Please proceed with your question. Okay, good morning. Um, <clears throat> my question is just around um, just operating leverage. Uh, I know you guided that uh, to 20 bips, but may maybe you could just talk about, you know, um, with price-led organic growth of 7%, how does that sort of break out between open market and franchise? Uh, and, then, and then just what, what's your assumption on cost inflation in, in that guide of kind of 20 bips uh, up leverage? Sure, I'll start and then hand it off to Marianne. Uh, good question, Hamza. So, you know, I know it's, it's, it's atypical for folks to, to, to run models in an inflationary environment because it's, it's new to many. But if you think, as we look at it right here, assuming a 6% overall uh, cost inflation, you know, it takes 4.5% of price just to overcome that on a dollar basis, right? And if that's all we did, that's about 80 basis points dilutive. So the fact is, is that to drive, you know, 20 basis points on a reported basis of expansion x acquisitions, it's really a hundred basis point margin expansion. Because you know, first thing we do is by going to six and a half or more is we're overcoming the 80 basis point dilution that just inflationary um, uh, results in, and then some because we're driving at six and a half to seven percent price. And so it's the optics. I know why the optics. You say, well, why is it just 20 in such a strong pricing environment? The fact is it's a 100 basis point margin expansion over the, in, the impact of inflation through reported numbers. And Marianne, that breaks down half. Sure, sure. So, so again, when you think about that 6.5%, maybe plus uh, on price, the way it breaks down in our exclusive markets, that's around 4%. And in the competitive markets, that's 6 to 8%. So you know, 50 to 100 basis points higher on both sides in, in terms of what's driving the difference between 5% last year and you know six and a half percent this year and as, as worthing said we think of that as addressing the inflationary environment we're currently in so you know exactly how you define that whether you call that five and a half six percent that type of inflation that's what we're seeing around us and that's what we're addressing as you'll recall hamza back in october we talked about thinking you know maybe five and a half six percent then we said we were comfortable at the high end of the range We've stepped that up to 6.5%, and as Worthing mentioned in his remarks, maybe higher than that. Maybe ultimately it's 7, uh, because what we're doing is addressing the environment we're in, and we think that's the right way to be proactive uh, from a pricing standpoint. And the importance, again, the importance of understanding the need to, to get the 80 basis points back and then some on the margin side is inflation is not just in the P&L. Inflation is on capital as well, right, in the CapEx, and we're seeing – increases, as you might imagine, on fleet, construction, and other, and other outlays. So you not only have to cover it through what's impacting your P&L, but it's what's impacting your, your CapEx as well, because that's how we maintain the very high conversion rate of EBITDA, the free cash flow. Very, very helpful. Uh, my, my second question, and uh, I'll turn it over, is just uh, at, at, at what point does your leverage get too low uh, where I guess your leverage is 2.4 times net, um, you know, it, it feels like um, the acquisition environment, you know, as you pointed out, could be as good as 2021. Um, you know, that's going to add a lot more EBITDA. If you're sitting below two times, you know, I'm not saying you're going to sit below two next year, but at some point, if you're below two, do you do a special dividend? Do you just buy back more stock? At what point does does uh, you know do you just say that the balance sheet is too underlevered? Well, I think if you look at the good question, if you look at the outlays this year, if this if this year looks like last year, you know we'll exit the year closer to three times levered, right? Because between the the, the billion dollar outlay and, and acquisitions, if that occurs, the outlay you've already seen on share repurchases of 425, and and we're just early in the year, right? Um, and so, you know, we expect to exit the year closer to three. Um, that gives us all the flexibility, again, looking forward to continue the growth model and return of capital. It's, Lams, it's hard to imagine that we would ever get below two times, uh, given the way we're running the business. Right. And to Worthing's earlier uh, comments about capital deployment, 
you know, again, we've tried to be consistent to remind people that look back to, to pre-progressive, we were buying back three to four percent of shares. And so there's certainly optionality to uh, increase the, the capital, the return of capital to shareholders in that environment. Got it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Tyler Brown with Raymond James. Please proceed with your question. Hey, good morning. Morning. Hey, Marianne, just real quick, do you specifically have what EMP and fuel, the impact there on margins? It sounded like there was a lot in that 90 basis points of commodity and other stuff in there that you talked about. So looking, looking ahead, it's a nominal tailwind. Um, you know, if, you, if you think about where we are this year versus where we averaged last year, kind of the, the, the tailwinds from recycling, RIMS and EMP, net of fuel, you know, maybe that's 20 basis points of tailwind net as, as, we, move, as we move ahead. So small nominal benefit in, in, in 22. Yeah, Tyler, okay, we, but, we, we, yeah. we de-risked fuel somewhat um, more mm-hmm. late last year when you saw that, you know, massive dislocation and crude for that brief period of time in, uh, in December. Okay. Okay. That's helpful. And then I appreciate the Q1 guidance, uh, very helpful. And maybe more than you, you kind of already addressed this, but how should we think about the cadence of margins through the year? I mean, it sounded like you guys might be a little bit more consistent versus more back end loaded. That's right. I think that's a, that's a great observation. And, and, you know, we, we recognize that there are some, there's certainly some puts and takes, but as, as we think about, you know, the gu- guiding the full year up 20 basis points X acquisitions and then telling you, well, look, it's, X, it's, up, uh, it's up 30 basis points, uh, uh, you know, in, in Q1, that, that tells you that it's going to be pretty similar as we move through the year. It's really not a bet on something changing in the back half of the year. We acknowledge that there's a little more benefit from recycling, RINs, et cetera, earlier in the year, but we told you about COVID costs, so I'd say that they're you know, sort of puts and takes that then, you know, dissipate as you move through the year. There's less of that noise. And the, the year-over-year margin activity, therefore, becomes far more consistent as you move through the year, quarter by quarter. Yeah, I think it's consistent in 22 because it was consistent in 21. Okay, right. So there's, there's not an assumption that things, you know, inflation gets significantly easier in the back half in the guide. Right. And and nor is there, you know, entering the year with a big year over year decline that makes that, you know, back end assumption, you know, a taller mountain. Okay. Okay. And then on the, excuse me, on the sustainability linked CapEx, I realized that there's a good pipeline of RNG projects, but can you talk about the two MRFs? Um, I guess, is there a tail opportunity there or were these just kind of advantageous opportunities to internalize some third-party commodity volumes. Just any thoughts there? Yeah, that, that's the way to think about it, Tyler. You know, as we've described in our sustainability objectives that we'd increase our recycling capacity, we've talked about the fact that, that there would be these greenfield opportunities. So these are two markets where we already have the recyclables, we're collecting them, and we were utilizing a third-party facility. So what this does for us, of course, is it internalizes those tons it de-risks the processing fee aspect of it, and it also provides an opportunity to put the new technology into a new facility, the use of robotics, more optical sorters, less reliance on labor. So uh, really a win-win uh, in terms of the timing and the opportunity there. Those are, you know, are somewhat unique opportunities. We'll certainly look for others, but that's the way to think about that opportunity okay. set. Okay, great. All right. I will those, pass it on. Once we do those projects, we're mostly optimized throughout our footprint with regard to uh, recycling facilities. Okay. Okay. That's very helpful. Okay. Thanks. I'll pass it on. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Jerry Revich with Goldman Sachs. Please proceed with your question. Yes. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Morning. Uh, Marianne, uh, can we just talk about the, the first quarter guidance a, a, a bit more? So you folks are going to get good core price contribution, you know, probably closer to seven points um, in, in the first quarter. And so I just want to make sure I understand the, 
the volume comments that, uh, that you made because you know it looks like uh, maybe the volume contemplates uh, flat to down uh, organic volume. Uh, is, is that the impact of the winter weather that you referred to? Can you can you just expand on that, or is there just you know enough moving pieces in the guide to give us room to execute in in this environment? Sure. Uh, well, so I'd say, you know, first off, you know, we sort of like to guide to, to what we know and leave upside for things outside of our control, and we put volume in that in that category, particularly during the winter. So, with that observation, I then you know call out the fact that we have baked in these these contracts that went away. And so, if you think about our full year guidance at you know maybe it's, whether it's half a point of volume add to that the 80 basis points for these contracts that went away and you're in what we would characterize as a more normalized, call it one and a half percent type of, of volume environment. And I'd say the first quarter is the same way with that caveat around winter weather and just, you know, arguably rather waiting to see until that comes. Now, what I would say is if I look at trends in January, it is encouraging to see that the same kind of positive, you know, sort of lows single-digit type of numbers coming out of our landfills and our roll-off poles, which are, you know, those are good real-time indicators of, of what we're seeing out there and could be indicative of the kind of volumes we'll report. Uh, terrific. And then, you know, in, in terms of the recycling uh, opportunities for, for you folks, uh, can you just remind us of, you know, what proportion of your collections business is uh, recycling today and, and of that, uh, what proportion do you dispose to third-party facilities? You know, are you folks optimistic on acquisition opportunities? You know, in areas that don't require green fields, as you alluded to, where they, is there an opportunity for accelerated M&A um, uh, in, in parts of the footprint where um, uh, you dispose to third parties? Yeah, I mean, again, as I said earlier, the, these last two facilities optimize our recycling position and our current footprint. Um, you know, ma the majority of our of our tons in our facilities come off our trucks, um, and so to Marianne's point about reducing our our reliance or or, or risk exposure to third parties, um, you know, this this buttons that up. Obviously, acquisitions that bring us into new markets create new opportunities. You know, you've seen the transaction we did in um, in Massachusetts last year. That is more of a resource recovery market. But those those acquisitions are coming with their own resource recovery facilities. Uh, obviously, as we do more tuck-ins in those facility in those markets, we'll be able to bring more volumes into those facilities to the extent we're not already getting those. But once you've got your footprint down, after that, it's 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 minor investments uh, with regards to robotics and additional sorters to to again reduce our reliance on labor as well as in, increase the quality of the output and therefore the the price of the commodities. Got it. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Kevin Chang with CIBC. Please proceed with your question. Hi. Hi. Good morning, and, and thanks for taking my question. Uh, were there, I just want to clarify something you mentioned in your in your prepared remarks. I think you said your your a lot of your safety metrics, and and, and I think you said your cost of risk um, was was either lower year over year or, or, or trending lower, and and I guess when I think of an environment where, where, where labor has been tight, so you have more, more new employees, you've obviously made a lot of acquisitions, and typically uh, you know, safety is one of the places you find synergies. Just, just wondering maybe what's driving um, you know, this better safety performance uh, maybe relative to those I guess, per perceived headwinds, at least on, on my part. Well, again, I think that's a that's a longer story. I mean, it's we've always talked about our behavioral based approach to to safety, where every person's accountable. I mean, this is not a safety department's responsibility in this company, and so we we reinforce those behaviors, we coach behaviors, um, and we hold ourselves accountable for continuous improvement. But simply, um, you're right when you point out that acquisitions do typically come come along at, at higher incident rates. That's opportunity. Um, it's opportunities, uh, not just financially, but most importantly for the for the health and health of our employees and the safety within our communities. I mean, that's of paramount importance. It's not uncommon for acquisitions to come to us with incident rates at four to to eight times uh, our average. Um, and we when we see that, we look at our most improved performers year over year, 
And this past year, uh, our most improved performer was a recent acquisition in the prior year. And, you know, they were down, what, some 65 or 70 percent in incident rates in year one. So it's possible. Um, it's just it, it's about culture. It's about relationships. It's about accountability. And it's um, it's about owning it. That's, uh, that, that, that's helpful. Just my second question, um, maybe going back to, to, to something Walter had asked. I think you've talked about um, you know this pipeline of, of of opportunities or subset of opportunities at, at kind of three and a half to four billion, and it's, I think that's been pretty consistent for a number of years now. But but it does feel like you know the underlying solid waste industry has, has, has you know gotten more rational. I, I think the industry you know seems to be stronger just wondering does, does that not play a role in, in in what goes into that pipeline like are there markets that you know five years ago weren't attractive because of the way the overall solid waste market was positioned versus versus here in 2022 well it's, you know it's it's not that they weren't attractive it's that the 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 proper way to enter it wasn't available at the time <laughs> Um, and so, you know, as we move through, like you, you've seen us do in many new markets uh, these past, you know, several years, those new market entries are the beachhead for us to continue our, 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 our model, right? Um, and so it's, you know, just because we're not in a market today doesn't mean we may not be in a market in the future. Uh, we're just waiting for that right entry point to, to be available. And so that's why the addressable market really hasn't changed too much, because while we're very active and in, uh, in what we're executing on, we're actually replacing what we're closing with the opportunities that we now have in those new markets. Okay, that, 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 makes, that makes a lot of sense. Congrats on good quarter. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Sean Eastman with KeyBank Capital Markets. Please proceed with your question. Hi guys, nice strong finish to the year. Um, I, I just wanted to come Back to the CapEx. Um, so, you know, it's helpful to call out exactly what's in there for the sustainability investments. If you pull that out, you know, underlying 11% as a percent of revenue. How do we think about the go forward? We've got a big pipeline of uh, sustainability linked investment opportunities. Does that 100 million ramp into next year? Um, and then, you know, is that 11% underlying sort of the right way to think about the next couple of years as well? Just, just some some uh, some color on the on the trajectory of those two pieces would be great. Sure. So first of all, with, with respect to your question about the, the pipeline of projects, the way to think about it is for those four discrete projects that we called out that are you know, that are unique. As Worthing said, those are two unique recycling facilities and two of the few. RNG facilities that we plan to own are, you know, included there. So for next year, you know, in addition to the 100 we're spending this year, there'd be another about 50 would finish those four projects. Beyond that, we're not talking about layering in more as you look ahead. So that's one aspect of the answer. The second would be with respect to what is arguably been some outsized CapEx, we thought that was prudent in 21 to make sure that we were positioning ourselves given supply chain constraints and any concerns about deliveries to make sure we were positioned to get it. And, and we talked about that all last year. And coming into this year, we felt the same way. And so we've positioned ourselves again, and those are the numbers we've communicated. If, as we look further down the road, you know, we would say think more about a more normalized CapEx as a percentage of revenue back at that 10.5% type of range that you've historically seen us in. Okay, very helpful. And um, and then I wanted to ask about the EMP upside optionality. You, you know, it's hard to ignore the leading indicators, which are looking very encouraging. Um, you know, probably prudent to leave that as upside. But you know, is there any other reason other than just you know prudent conservatism to to uh, think that EMP won't have some potentially meaningful uplift over the course of 2022? Sure, and, and we don't disagree, Sean, that there's certainly the fundamentals would suggest that there's an opportunity there. Uh, and what we typically would say is, look, let, let's get into the spring because that's when we have better visibility because that's when the drillers uh, have better visibility and are communicating that to us. The one you know, additional uh, element I would say is that 
the realities of labor constraints are, are impacting, you know, the drillers as well. And so, you know, even though you see rig movement, it doesn't mean that the, the waste is being is generated as quickly as might otherwise be because people may not be moving as quickly. And so that would be a limiting factor in the near term. But we agree with your characterization of the opportunity as we move through 22. And as you'll recall, we typically guide to what we see. And so that's why the guidance is what it is. But of course, we acknowledge there, there should be an opportunity as we move through the year. Understood. Thanks very much. Thank you. As a reminder, to register for a question, please press the 1 followed by the 4 on your telephones. Our next question comes from the line of Noah Kay with Oppenheimer. Please proceed with your question. Good morning. Thanks for taking the questions. Uh, my first one is uh, about investments at the landfill and specifically around leachate management. You know, it seems like we're circling a date for PFAS regulations to potentially come down the pike uh, in, you know, maybe mid next year. And even when that happens, it just seems like it's going to take a huge toll on private and public, uh, you know, water treatment infrastructure, wastewater treatment infrastructure. So, you know, to what extent are you addressing that proactively with some of your investments? Do you think the industry is ready to handle the incremental expenses of leachate disposal? Um, and what might the implications be for landfill pricing? Yeah, well, I, I can just say I know what we're doing because <laughs> we've been focusing on de-risking, um, you know, our exposure to third-party uh, treatment providers um, for, for many years now. Um, plus making R&D investments um, into um, how to address PFAS, RH2S uh, emissions at landfills. And so it's, you know, we, we, we like the position we're in right now. Clearly we're investing, whether it be in thermal treatment or whether it be in, in leachate uh, wastewater treatment on site, um, and those efforts continue. Uh, we monitor our progress in, in, in what percent we're handling uh, on-site versus third parties. Um, look, you got to remember that landfills are the regulated capsule to 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 contain PFAS, <laughs> um, and mm -hmm. so you know this is opportunity for us and how we treat this uh, less of a risk. Um, but you're right to point out that in you know, the wastewater treatment plants, um, that's where there, there's a is a much bigger focus, and it's it is a bigger, more complicated issue for uh, for utilities. Okay, thanks. Um, and, and the second one is just around um, the subjects of, of labor and automation. Um, you know, clearly, you know, this is a people-first business. You continue to invest, um, uh, you know, in your frontline employees. Um, you know, obviously, some, some industry players have been talking about automation uh, as, a, as a lever uh, to really optimize operations uh, and potentially even drive natural attrition, um, you know, in the labor force. And just love your perspective on that. To what extent do you see, you know, automation as, uh, you know, a further tool for, for optimizing your labor costs? Where are you investing? Um, and how would you frame it from the way Waste, Waste Connections is approaching it? Sure. Um, look, it's just called running a good business. Um, you know, we don't talk about uh, what might happen and, and therefore have you have expectations and kind of, you know, look to the future for something that may or may not be delivered upon. Um, look, our view is, as you know, we've already been proactive on robotics to reduce the, the labor headcounts uh, at recycling facilities. Those investments will continue. Um, you got to remember as good things happen, um, you know, other, it always pushes, puts and takes, right, uh, in every P&L and in and market by market. Um, and so I don't view this as a layer capable taking thousands of employees out um, and representing ourselves in a whole different view. Um, the reality is, is you, 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 you chip away um, and, you know, you, you run a better operation. Um, you try to reduce your, your, your reliance on labor in a tough environment. But, um, you know, it's, I, I wouldn't hang out hope for something that, um, you know, may sound good, but, um, you know, May not may be more difficult to deliver upon. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thanks very much as always. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Michael Hoffman with FIFL. Please proceed with your question. Hey gang, congratulations on 25 years. Um, it's been a pretty cool run. 
Um, I got a bunch of questions that are about the model, uh, not in any particular order. Rising rates and the business model, and it's not about is your interest expense going up or down. What do you think about rising rates as uh, operating a garbage company and some of the issues that those the consequences of rates going up? Well, I'd say from our perspective, since the majority of our, our debt is fixed um, and our average, you know, our weighted average interest expense is around three percent. You know, even with a, a, a modest increase, that I, I don't think it moves the needle. And I think what what you should expect is, to the extent we take on more debt, we'd look for opportunities to fix more because we can st- still consider this an attractive environment in spite of the fact that that rates are up. Uh, you know, perhaps for other people who've relied on the low cost of debt to be more aggressive with respect to acquisitions or other decisions they've made, I think it would have a bigger impact. But again, that's not us. Yeah, but away from interest expense, as you say, Michael, I mean, if the, if the view is um, to uh, increase interest rates to kind of dislocate this, this economy um, and potentially, you know, have a, a recession on the horizon, this industry does very well in a recession. I mean, as we all know, it's a very resilient uh, industry. Uh, in fact, the recession, if it dislocates the labor force um, and, and puts increases our available pool of labor, makes us an easier business to operate. <laughs> um, and you look back over time, we performed quite well in recessions, whether it be the early 2000s, late 2000s, et cetera. Um, you know, it's, a, it's an industry that does well, and it, for us, it's a market model that that, you know, allows for that continued differentiation. Perfect. And then, Marianne, I was writing numbers down so fast, you may have said it and I missed it. Did you give an interest expense for the full year? You gave it for the four, first quarter, but did you give interest expense for, first, for 22? It's about 160. 160, okay. I missed that. Um, and then I appreciate, and, and you've been very clear, you're going to walk away from bad business and therefore don't freak out if volumes are a negative or a zero. Can you give us the cadence of when I'm seeing that? Because I think it feels like I'm probably negative in the first half and positive in the second half, and the second half reflects what's actually happening in the market on a go-forward basis. You're talking about with respect to the two contracts that, that went right. away, one one went away in Q4 and one in Q1. So it's, it's pretty steady, a little bit lower in one and four, higher in two and three, 80 basis points across the four quarters. Okay. So being you know, negative in one and, and negative to flat in two and then slightly positive to more positive is sort of the way to think about it. Or it could be positive in one and would have been more positive without the losses. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So, no, look, we think of this environment right now as kind of an underlying, you know, 1% plus environment. And so then you, you, you factor out the, that 80 basis points and it gives you a sense of uh, what might be reported. Obviously, you know, if we do better than 1%, that layers on top of that. Got it. And then um, you shared your internal cost of inflation, which is predominantly a wage issue in, in addition to the capital issue. Where are you on open positions and, and sort of the trend in actually being able to fill positions? You know, I wouldn't say it's just a, a wage and, um, uh, and CapEx issue. Um, first off, I'd say the wages were very proactive last year, going all the way back to the first half of last year uh, when we started uh, ticking those up uh, uh, notably, just in anticipation of what was going to come the remainder of the year. And so we do start the anniversary of some of those as we work through uh, the first half of this year. Um, but there are all sorts of pressures out there, whether it be pressures around repair and maintenance, pressure, pressures around third-party trucking availability, because um, they have the same wage, <laughs> excuse me, the same wage and labor availability issues that, that we all do, um, yet the waste still has to move from the tea stations to the landfills, right? Um, and so, no, there, there are many line items that pop, and you know, our belief right now is, you know, the underlying is, is at least 6%. Um, and as we move through the year, as Marianne said, if we think that pressure for the full year is going to be higher than that, you'll see a step up, as I alluded to, maybe pricing approaches 7% because of that. Okay. And then open positions, um, have you, are you finding that you're being able to find people now a little bit easier, that you had the worst of it was sort of in early 3Q and it's gotten a little bit better, or is it still at the same high level of open positions? 
Yeah, I mean, we, we're still running, you know, at that 5% or so uh, of open positions. And, you know, when you spread across um, so many operating locations, uh, you know, running in that 4 to 5% is not unexpected. You know, I'd say we were stressed, obviously, in many locations with Omicron as, you know, at some point to the time, over 1,000 employees, um, you know, were, were affected or impacted by that in some ways. And those that were able to show up, um, you know, there was extra pressure to get the work done, which is why we, we did what we did in the month of January. Um, I think the telling, t- telling sign really is going to be is how do you get through the spring? Because obviously, you know, the spring and, uh, is where you start getting the pressures. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, right now we'd like where we stand, um, but obviously we'd love to, to, to make some inroads in that and, and uh, put some more seats in the, in the trucks. Okay, and then this is down in the weeds a bit, but there's a change in political party in Seneca area where your your landfill is, and you're trying to get a host fee, a community host fee agreement. Do you do you change your handicapping on that now, given what happened in November? Look, it's uh, we don't control the outcome, um, and so we'll just uh, let time play out and determine where that where that heads. Um, okay, and then last, did I hear you correctly say so you spent $425 million on a share buyback in January, and so that's like three and a quarter million shares? That's right, and that's why we gave you a share count of, what, 259 for the full year, that's as we right. said today. Yeah, so a point, already bought back up over a point. Okay, all right. Um, that's terrific to hear. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our last question comes from the line of Chris Murray with ATB Capital Markets. Please proceed with your question. Yeah, thanks, folks. Um, just a quick question, going back to the inflation um, question. Um, so if we were to think about the fact that um, maybe there's a chance that we could see some moderation on some of the inflation pressures as we go into the second half of the year, um, can you just, you know, again, back to the understanding um, the mechanics of inflation, is it fair to think that all the pricing that you'll have been putting in and the, the stuff that you've got in um, – in, in your captive markets, um, like that's going to be sticky. That those those increases will be on an annualized basis. So that 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 really leads to what your comment about perhaps some margin improvement on the back half if inflation moderates. Right. I mean, we're, what we're saying moderation is upside, um, not what it takes to produce a, a wishful second half uh, recovery. That's right. And just uh, Chris, to, to your point, we we put in the majority of our price increases early in the year. And to the extent there's CPI length, that's where there's the lag. So those are known numbers for 22. To the extent that were to happen, it could have an impact on 23 for those. You know, because where we sit now, it only gets better in 23 because of the inflationary pressures we've seen in terms of pricing. All right. No, that's fair. I just wanted to make sure that there wasn't something that reverses back out on you. Um, and then my last question very quickly is just around the uh, the base dividend. Um, you know, Worthing, you've made the comment of, a few times that, you know, the, the idea was as you were growing, um, you know, the dividend would probably outgrow um, the pace of, of your cash flow generation. But, you know, in the last couple of years now, we've seen cash flow, and we look at your 22 guide, um, certainly this year it looks like it's going to be pretty strong as well to now you're kind of outstripping the, the growth in the base dividend. Um, appreciating that you're also supplementing that with some share buybacks. But, you know, how do we think about that base dividend in terms of growth? Um, you know, I think, you know, Hamza asked a question about a special, but, you know, just going back to the base dividend and, and, and where you see that longer term and do you start, you know, trying to grow that at above cash flow um, in the future? A couple of observations, Chris. First of all, it has been about a 15% CAGR since we initiated the dividend 11 years ago. So we have consistently raised it double digits. And we do anticipate that when the outsized acquisition slows down as a percentage of our total free cash flow, that will grow from that 20 to 22% where it is now. We could see that growing to more like 30% of free cash flow. Uh, the other observation would be in a year like this, at 21, we actually doubled the return of capital to shareholder from the prior year between our, our share repurchases and the continued growth in the dividend. And coming into this year, having already done share repurchases and being well positioned for continued growth in the dividend, you should expect something comparable. All right, that's fair. Thanks for your, thanks for your time. Sure. sure. Thank you. Mr. Jackman, there are no further questions at this time. I will now turn the call back to you. Please continue with your presentation or closing remarks. 
Well, if there are no further questions, on behalf of our entire management team, we appreciate your listening to and interest in the call today. Marianne and Joe Box are available today to answer any direct questions that we did not cover that we were allowed to answer under Reg FD, Reg G, and applicable securities laws in Canada. Thank you again, and we look forward to seeing you at upcoming investor conferences or on our next earnings call. Thank you. That does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your lines. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.